Well, it is so good to be with you this morning. And uh, for those of you uh, that are new with us, I want to thank you. And I I hope this is not just the first time. I hope it's the first time of many times. Uh, For those of you that are new with us, there's a Connect card that's located in the seat back of the chair in front of you. If you'll take a moment this morning, fill that out before you leave, uh, visit our welcome table at the back of the room. And we all have a host there that would love to give you a gift for being with us. We're so grateful that you're here and we get to share this moment with you. And for those of you that are uh, online, with us. We're so grateful to join you wherever you are. And uh, for all of us that are Westsiders, I would love for you to help all of, help me let all of these people that are new with us know how much we are for them today. Will you let us know, let them know that this morning? Yeah. If you stick around Westside long enough, you're going to find out we're for Jesus and we are for you and we want to be a community that walks alongside of you. And we do begin a brand new series today that we're calling Shadowlands. And here's something that is the reality for every one of us. No matter where you are, no matter what your walk in life um, is right now, in 2020, um, you experience something. You experience something that every one of us share in tw- have shared in 2020. And what we all shared was loss. Every one of us experienced loss in 2020. Every one of us at some level lost a sense of normal. Every one of us lost uh, things and opportunities or expectations. Seniors in high school lost the opportunity to graduate and celebrate that with others. Seniors in, 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 in senior homes and in, in nursing homes and those types of facilities and those of us who have loved ones in senior homes or nursing facilities lost the opportunity to connect physically with them. Every one of us has lost stuff. Some of us have lost jobs. Many of us lost income. Um, many of us also have lost loved ones. See, we all experience loss, and that's something that's part of life. In life, there's loss, and loss always leads you somewhere. Loss always will lead you somewhere, and this is where loss leads. Every time, loss leads to grief. Loss always will lead you and I to grief. Now, for most of us who even lost loved ones this past year, another thing we lost on top of the loved one was the opportunity to grieve with one another in community. See, we all experience loss at many levels. And, and being in grief, I mean, being in grief can be very disorienting, can it? Whether it's losing a loved one or whatever the variety or the degree of loss that you've suffered, whenever you suffer loss and you are in this land, this, this grief, of, this land of grief, it can be very disorienting. It can be this dark shadow land, if I can use that. A place where you don't know how to get out. It's almost like if the shadow land is this dark place of grief where the pain of loss is greater or is closer to you than the light of hope. And it's in this dark shadow land of grief that we do have a hope though. See, in grief, we can find grace. This is the beauty of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which we celebrated last Sunday together as a church family. See, the resurrection of Jesus gives us hope in our grief because Jesus defeated death. And because Jesus defeated death, we can embrace our sorrows. We can embrace the shadow lands. We can face our grief and find grace. And this is what I want to challenge you to do. I want to challenge you to face your grief. Because when you face your grief and you embrace the shadow land, you will find 
grace. And here's a serious big idea that we're going to be journeying over and, and, and going through over the next couple of weeks, over the next four weeks. It's this right here. We experience grace and loss when we turn to and trust in God. You will experience grace in your loss, grace in that shadow land, grace in the grief and the darkness and the overwhelming pressure of it. You will find grace. You will experience God's grace when you turn to and trust in God. See, here's the reality is every time that you experience any form of loss, you have a choice to make. You have actually one of two choices to make. Every one of us, no matter where you are in your faith, no matter where you are in your life, at every moment of loss, you have one of two choices to make. It's in this choice that we make. It's not now, it's not a choice of whether you're going to be in the shadow land or not, because as 2020 showed every one of us, we will not get that choice. It'll choose us. But in this, we have the choice of where we turn when we face and when we enter the shadow land. See, loss leads you and I to turn to or turn away from God. That's where loss leads. It leads us to turn to or turn away from God. See, we turn to God or we're going to turn to something or we're going to turn to someone else. And in this series, we want to help you see how you can turn to God in your loss and experience his grace. In the shadow lands of grace, you will find, in the shadow lands of grief, you will find grace when you turn to and trust in God. And this is how scripture leads us. The men and women of scripture have found, turned to God in their loss and the many scriptures are full of this. And this process is called lament and we are going to be teaching you how to walk this path and, and approach this in a way called Lament. And over the next four weeks, we're going to help you take this journey. And today I'm excited to help us kick off this journey is a friend of mine. He is not just only a, a close friend of mine, but he and his wife, Carol, his name is Mike. And he, Mike and Carol have been close friends of mine uh, for a while. They've, uh, Mike has been my personal pastor in many ways. And he's also a, a, a counselor to me. So he's, he's a colleague in ministry. But more than that, he's a shepherd of my heart and my soul. And also he is a personal counselor. To even my wife and I. And I'm so grateful for Mike and Carol being with us today. And Dr. Mike Grubbs is with us today. And he's going to help us take this journey. He has a rich heritage of ministry, being the son of two biblical counselors. And yet he has a legacy of his own that is so strong in counseling. Uh, Mike has been in ministry for many years, in full-time ministry, ministering to the local church. He's ministered as a youth pastor. And he's ministered as a church planner and as a senior pastor. And most recently, as a licensed biblical counselor, he has served Jesus and his local church. And I would love for you to help me welcome my friend and yours, Dr. Mike Grubbs. Will you do that with me? <laughs> Mike, I'm so grateful you're here today. Thanks for sharing this moment yeah, with man. us. I had this lady in my first church plant and she'd come up to me every week and she'd say, Pastor, that was a passable sermon. <laughs> but you didn't use the Bible. See, because I have this habit of putting everything, uh, you know, translating the, transferring the Bible over to a piece of paper so that I can manage it better. But because I didn't have a Bible all bent back, you know, and waving it around, she didn't think I was preaching out of the Bible. I had another lady, the very first sermon I ever preached, 
I preached this thing, and it was, it, it, it was uh, rather, uh, rather ugly. And, uh, and this lady in the back of the church, again, a different lady, said to me, uh, Pastor, that was, uh, that, was, that, was a, that was good, but you didn't preach out of the Bible. I said, I said what, what do you mean, ma'am? She says, well, that didn't sound like the King James Version to me, and that's the language Jesus spoke. Jesus did not speak King James English. He spoke Aramaic and Greek, right? Okay, so you're laughing a little bit. That's better than the first group. (laughs) Title for this message, uh, I changed it on Casey and did not tell him this, so it's not his fault. The, uh, The title is Turning to God in the Midst of Turmoil. See, in my practice, um, I have yet to have somebody, uh, a client, call me up and, and I answer the phone and they say to me, uh, hey, Mike, I'm having a great day today. They, they typically don't do that. I mean, if they're going to call a therapist, with, you know, there's generally trouble, turmoil, mess, uh, difficulty on the other end of the phone. And so I don't get a lot of those kind of phone calls and... Maybe you don't either. Turning to God in the midst of turmoil. The big idea for this message is this. God is good. Always good. Never less than good. It's because it's who he is. It's not just the stuff he does for us. It's not just the things he's done for us. It's not just the things we hope he's going to do for us. It's his identity. It's who he is. God is good. Say it with me. God is good, always good, never less than good. That needs to become a mantra in your life because when your life throws you some curveballs and, and, and throws you into the mud pit and other places... Um, you need to remember that. There's a, there's a, a, a story I want to tell you, just a little brief one. Um, in, when we think of Britons, we think of the people in, the, in what's now known as the UK. But in, 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 in those island, that, those islands, especially the island of Britain, um, in ancient times, there were a bunch of people that lived there. There was the, the Scotty, the Anacotti, the Picti, and the Jute, and, um, and the Briton, B-R-I-T-O-N, the Briton. Well, the Britons were a, a unique kind of, of people, as were all the others. Um, and, um, and what they did when they encountered somebody who had crossed the line of the law is they would stake them out flat on the ground and, you know, stake their arms and legs. And, and then when there would be a, a, the guy there that would tell, tell the story of why that person's laying there like that. And if, if the individual listening to the story heard that, that, in, that, they, um, that they were guilty, they would take a, a big rock and they'd put it on their chest and another guy come along, hear the story, put a rock on the chest. 
Another guy come along, put a rock on their chest. Another guy doesn't think he's guilty at all. He takes a rock off his chest. Another guy comes along, puts his rock on his chest. And, and, and the end result most times was couldn't breathe, died. Well, that's a lot like suffering. It's a lot like being in the shadow land. It's a lot like discomfort. It's a lot like loss. It's a lot like fear. It's a lot like worry. It's a lot like I can't get my breath. Let me, let me see a show of hands. Anybody not experienced that? Ooh, I don't see any hands going up. Right? So we have a passage of Scripture that you're probably familiar with. If you're not familiar with it, we'll get you familiar with it. It's uh, 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 7. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is merciful, is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. For the more we suffer for Christ, the more God will shower us with his comfort through Christ. Even when we are weighed down with troubles, it is, not, it is for your comfort and salvation. For when we ourselves are comforted, we will certainly comfort you. Then you can patiently endure the same things we suffer. We are confident that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in the comfort God gives us. Now, as, as, as a, a, a Bible, uh, you know, like a... Um, I, I don't want to say scholar because that... That's not exactly right, but uh, as, as a biblical person, right, I, I love the Bible, and I, I know it pretty well. Um, I, I read these pa this passage in it, and there was a phrase in it that always just tripped me up, just tripped me up. And as a pastor, I would skip over it when I came to this passage because I could not, I, I, I couldn't articulate it, but now I've sat in my chair and listened to God, and I've heard what he has for me to say about it. And, and it's this passage at the beginning of verse 5. For the more we suffer for Christ. And I always thought, you know, what's he talking about? Christ suffered for us. What's he mean by we, we suffer for Christ? Well, that word in Greek for for can also be translated with. It's E-I-S e -I transliterated. It's, you know, it's uh, epsilon, iota, sigma. And, and it, it, it gives you the idea that it, it can be for or with. And so in this sense, for with would be a good way of translating this. For the more we suffer for with Christ. In other words, what Christ suffered we join him in that suffering. What did Christ suffer? He suffered sorrow. Isaiah called him the man of sorrows. He suffered loss. 
Lazarus died, his best friend. He suffered grief over having to bring Lazarus back. I don't want to chase that rabbit, but I want to give that to you. You know, why did Jesus weep? Lord, 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 the stench will be terrible. Don't go down there. It'll, it, he's been dead four days, said Mary and Martha. Jesus goes down to the tomb, and he stands there, and he prays a prayer. Lord, you know, this is for your glory, right? This is for your glory. And, and then he weeps. Well, some people say, well, he wept because he was sorry that he wasn't there to keep him from dying. That's possible. My take on it is this. Lazarus was in glory. He was in heaven. He was in bliss. Jesus knew about where he was because that's where he came from to become born a man. Right? And he has to call him back from there to this So he weeps, and he grieves over that. You don't want your best friend to suffer like that. He had a taste of heaven, and now he's got to come back here? You've got to be kidding me. For the more we suffer for Christ, anguish, agony, being poured out, exhaustion, the, the crowds would always press in on him, and there were many that he could not heal, and he felt for them. Yeah. Yeah. So what's a comforter? The word in, uh, in uh, Greek is paraclete. I know that, you know, when I used to sit out there with where, where you are, and, and these guys would be up here quoting Greek words and this and that, you know, it used to drive me nuts. Is it driving you nuts? Okay. Paraclete. Say paraclete. <laughs> it means advocate, one who stands alongside us to defend us. It means comforter, one who brings comfort in our stress. It means consoler, one who has good words to say to us, to lift us up. It means counselor, one who has something to say to us to make us better people. It means encourager, one who encourages. And he is the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, called alongside to help. And John 14, 16, and 17 um, says this, he leads us into all truth. John, that was 6 and 7. John 14, 6 and 7. John 14, 26. He teaches us everything and he reminds us of everything Jesus has said. In John 15, 26. He, the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, will testify about me. What does that mean? He'll testify about me. It means in the midst of your shadow, when you're sitting in a half darkness, when you can't find your way out, when you do not know which way to turn, he comes and he testifies about Jesus who was raised from the dead and who provides that same resurrection life to you. John 16, uh, John um, 
10.28, I give them eternal life. I give them eternal life. Do you ever think about that? What's eternal life? Well, everybody here, most everybody, is going to say, well, eternal life is life forever. No, that's everlasting life. I give them eternal life. I give my sheep eternal life. Eternal has no beginning and has no ending. What is he giving you? Eternal. Who's the only eternal one? God. He's given you his life. Because eternal is an adjective that describes what kind of life? Whoa. Is that not comforting? That he's giving you eternal life, his life to live? Resurrection life, life that even death cannot conquer. We just sang it. Living hope. John 15, 17, 7 through 15, uh, 16, 17 through 15 says, He convicts us of our sin. He makes us aware of it, not to punish us, not to shame us, not to embarrass us, not to do anything, but help us to become holy people so that we can live with Him forever, the holy God. He convicts us of sin. He guides us into all truth. He speaks about the future. He glorifies Jesus, and He tells us what He receives from Jesus so that we can know it. The paraclete the comforter, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles. The paraclete sometimes takes the rocks off your chest. The paraclete sometimes sends somebody, human being, to take the rocks off your chest. And sometimes the paraclete makes you able to breathe even with the rocks on your chest. But he's the source of all comfort. Comfort can be had no other way. And I, I guarantee you, in this group right here, there's been all kinds of people who have tried all kinds of things to bring comfort to themselves, and nothing works. But the God who is the source of all comfort. He comforts all our troubles. Now, that, that can be taken two ways. He, he comforts every one of our troubles... Or you could say, he comforts all kinds of troubles. Or the best way to look at it is, he covers every one of all kinds of troubles. And, and, and by the way, what is the sum of the law? They asked Jesus that. The Pharisees asked Jesus that. They were trying to trip him up. They, they wanted him to answer one of the Ten Commandments, and, and, and uh, he didn't do it. What he said was, the, law, the sum of the law is this, that you love God with all your soul, mind, strength, and heart, 
and that you love your neighbor as yourself. What is that? That's called ministry. You take the love of God that He fills you with and you give it away to others and you love them. And when you run out, you go back to the source and get some more. When you have been comforted, you comfort others. That's this whole passage. No comfort, no trouble, no comfort. No trouble, no comfort, nothing to give away. Troubles, having been comforted, give the comfort away. And that's what he's doing. One of the passages that I love the most um, in the Bible is uh, Jeremiah 2.13. It's a short little uh, thing. It says, it says, my people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring or fountain of living water, and dug for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Uh, a cistern's a, a big bucket-like thing or a hole in the ground that they dug and they line it with stones and it could keep, keep water, right? It doesn't do it. They turn from the spring of living water, the one that never runs dry, and they go over here and they drink out of this pool of stuff that's been laying around for a long time, like a bird bath in your backyard in August. They're drinking out of that, Right? So when we get into the shadow land, when we get into the land of lament, when we, when we are hurting, when we're sorrowful, when we're grieving, when we're lost, instead of going over here and drinking out of the living well, or the, living, the, the spring of living water, the fountain of living water, we go over here and we drink out of this concrete birdbath in August. We try, to, we try to comfort ourselves with food. We try to comfort ourselves with alcohol. We try to comfort ourselves with drugs. We try to comfort ourselves with things we shouldn't see on the internet. We, 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 we try to comfort ourselves with watching binge-watching shows on Netflix. We try to comfort ourselves by, you know, expend, spending money. We try to comfort ourselves with all kinds of different ways. Won't work never has worked, never will work, not as long as human beings are breathing, there, it will never work because it always runs out, it always runs dry, it always flows away, it never can hold your attention for very long, it cannot comfort you. Turn back to the living water and drink deeply. Turn to God in the midst of your turmoil. John 6, um, Galatians 6, 2. Galatians 6, 2 says this. um, Share each other's burdens. And in this way, 
obey the law of Christ. Share each other's burdens. Okay, I want, I want everybody to look absolutely forward. No, that's not right. Everybody close your eyes. Close your eyes. Okay, now, if I, if I want you to put your hand up if this is true. I have burdens that I've never told anybody about. Yeah, yeah, okay, open your eyes. It's all over the place, almost every person. If you don't tell me, if I'm your brother in Christ, if if I'm part of your family, if I'm part of the family of God, if I'm adopted into the same family that you're adopted into, God's family, if that's true, and you don't tell me what you're suffering, how can I bear that for you? One of the things that I detest about church, I, I, actually I'm going to tell you this and I shouldn't, but I'm going to do it anyway because, you know, I don't get paid here. So, so, so one of the things I don't like about church is when you walk into church, everybody's fine. Right? How you doing? Fine. How's things going? Fine. What's new? It's all fine. Right? That's crap. It's not. Now, should you regurgitate everything to everybody? No. Pick out the people that you learn to walk with and do life with and trust and do, but share the burdens because we can't share the burdens. We can't fulfill the law of Christ. John 16, 33. I've told you all this, says Jesus, so that you may have peace in me. This is, this is what he says. These are the last words that he says before he goes to the garden to pray, before the Roman soldiers come to take him away, before he goes to the trials before he gets the skin stripped off his back, the crown of thorns rammed on his head, he's beaten, kicked, spat upon, and ridiculed. And then he's nailed to a cross. These are the last words he said. I have told you this. I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Like, that doesn't make much sense because he's just going to go and have the most unpeaceful moments of any human in history. I have told you all this so that you can have peace in me. It's because we misunderstand the word peace. The word peace, we think, means absence of conflict. We think that the word peace means there's no fighting, there's no turmoil, there's no mess, there's no difficulty, there's no issues, there's nobody at odds with one another. Everybody's peaceful. No, that's not what the word peace means in the New Testament. The word peace in the New Testament means reconciled to God. We are no longer enemies of God. We are no longer at war with heaven. We are at peace. And the only way that we can be at peace is because he did go to that cross and die there and was resurrected. 
And because he was resurrected, we're given new life. But I have told you all this so that in me you may have peace. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows. But take heart, I have overcome the world. All right, there's a Greek word called philipsis. And you got to say it because it's really a fun word. Philipsis. Oh, you guys. Okay. It means pressured, afflicted, anguished, burdened, persecuted, tribulation, and trouble. Share in sufferings is to sharing in sufferings is to embrace being human. You are not alone. Suffering produces these three things, and then we're we're done. Empathy, which is an action of understanding, being aware, being sensitive, and vicariously experiencing somebody else's pain and anguish. Empathy is experiencing their pain and anguish from a distance. Sympathy is an association with another wherein what affects one affects the other. It is entering into somebody else's discomfort. Sympathy. Compassion is a combination. Sympathetic consciousness of another's distress with a desire to alleviate it. You are not alone in your distress. And if you share your distress with a brother who will help bear your burden take you to Jesus, turn to God in your turmoil, you're going to find your way out of the shadow lands. And then you'll have something to give away. All praise to him who is good, always good, never less than good, even when we can't see it, or feel it. This is who God is. He does not change. He is God who is good, always good, and never less than good. So what's your loss today? What is it that you face? What is it that you are in? That, what is it that's creating that, that pressure on your chest that, that almost feels like life can't get any more pressure because it's hard to breathe? I feel so alone. What is it? Is it a combination of things? But either way, you're in the shadow land of grief. And in this shadow land of grief, you have the choice to turn to God and trust in him. A God who is good who's always good and never less than good, and he's proven this to us in the cross. And in the shadow land, this is our hope for you, is that you reach up and you turn to him. Knowing that as soon as you reach up, his hand is already reaching down to you. And in your darkness, in the heart, in the heartbreak of your life, in the loss, in the turmoil, whatever that may be, when you reach up to him and you turn to him, you'll have the confidence that he's there. Darkness may still overwhelm you. The feeling of, uh, of darkness may be all in you, but you can turn to him and you can find comfort. 
And as you reach up, this is the encouragement that we have. We can also reach behind. We can put our hand out to the side. We can find someone else in the darkness. We can find somebody else walking in the shadowlands with us and we can find their hand, pick them up and carry them. This is how we journey together. This is how the community of God walks by faith, not by sight in the darkness, in the grief, in the loss, in the limit. We turn to trust in him. We turn to and we trust in him. A God who's good, always good, never less than good. We receive his comfort and we reach out. Maybe there's someone in your world that you need to reach out to. Maybe there's someone here that you've never met and you need to invite them over, turn to them after you've turned to him. We're singing the song and I want you to just listen to the words of the song. Just sit here and listen. And the first verse says, as I walk this great unknown, questions come and questions go. Was there purpose for the pain or did I cry these tears in vain? God, you are always good. You are never less than good. And there is always purpose in the pain, in the shadow. Questions come and questions go. Was there purpose for the pain? Did I cry these tears in vain? I don't want to live in fear. I want to trust that you are near. Trust your grace can be seen in both triumph and tragedy. I have this hope in the depths of my soul. In the flood or the fire, you are with me and you won't let go. But sometimes my faith feels thin, like the night will never end. Will you catch every
shadow lane looks like for you you will find grace when you turn to and trust in a God who is good who is always good who is never less than good would you stand with me our prayer partners are going to be available they'd love to pray with you in any way and I just want to bless you before we leave in a a word of prayer father I thank you we thank you together we thank you we turn to you right now in our loss and our heartbreak and we thank you that you are good Thank you for showing your goodness through the cross of Jesus. That alone will always be the proof of your goodness to you.